Today's reading is from Genesis, chapters 37 and 50. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age and he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once, Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly, my sheaf rose and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But then Reuben heard it. He delivered them out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands and restore him to his father. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profits is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his own clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where can I turn? Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They had the long robe with sleeves taken to their father, and they said, This we have found. See now whether it is your son's robe or not. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph is without torn, doubt, torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong we did to him? So they approached Joseph saying, your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept. 
fell down before him and said, we are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to persevere a numerous people, preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. The word of life. Thank you, Amy. A couple notes if you're considering reading in church. We don't always have lessons that are that long, right, Amy? <laughs> She's like, really? Do I have to get this Sunday? And I'm also telling you sometimes that's the case in the Old Testament. So if you have to bring a snack now and then to church, it's okay. Because it's really long, and this is condensed from many chapters just to fit on one page in our bulletin. Long, detailed, enmeshed, unfolding story. So as I was dwelling in this monster of a story, alongside of that, every single media outlet was flashing the news of the Brangelina divorce. Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, this adored Hollywood couple, we hear this week that their marriage is ending. I saw one Facebook post which read this, if a couple with millions of dollars, fabulous careers, six kids, and a brand of overpriced rosé can't make it, then we should all give up now. You know, there's times in life and I think most often in times of suffering, that the veil gets lifted and what we see are the complicated workings of everyday life. It's real, it makes us sigh. And when we hear these Old Testament stories, the veil is meant to be lifted because they tell the truth about us as humans, but they also tell the truth about God. And for some reason in our minds, we play the Hollywood version of Joseph and that amazing technicolor dream coat. Donny Osmond with that gorgeous black wavy hair adorned in that extraordinary trench coat. I have been thinking, though, about all that's packed into this story that we can often miss. Jacob, the father, was actually the king of cheat himself. His name, Jake, Jacob, means cheater. He tried to maneuver himself out of the womb, grabbing onto his brother's leg to be the one who was first born. It didn't work. And then with his mother as an accomplice, he tricks his father Isaac on bestowing the firstborn blessing on him rather than his twin brother Esau. So dysfunction and favoritism are seeping through now to the next generation. So Jacob has all these older sons. And then Joseph is born when he is an old man. And Joseph is the favored one. He's the dreamer. Jacob knows this too. This young boy has something special in his heart and his spirit. And Jacob knows it as God's presence, a promise that continues now into this next generation and how God will work through Jacob's sons now to be a part of this world. 
So Joseph, the dreamer, the special one, is given this amazing coat. And as a young boy and a teenager, he doesn't really get that, or maybe he does, and so he flaunts his coat as the only one who has it, and he tells his wild dreams to his father and brothers, which make it even more evident that Joseph is receiving this affirmation and love that his older brothers so long for. So the brothers decide to silence the dreamer to end the dream. So they decide to throw Joseph in a pit. And it's not just a funny, swirly sibling prank. And they decide to throw him in a pit to spare his life, one brother hoping to come back and save him later. But he's sold into slavery. And in order to erase all these bad decisions, the brothers take that coveted coat, mark it with animal blood, so that their dad thinks Joseph has been killed by a wild animal. So add into this story stealing, tampering with evidence, child endangerment, life-wrenching guilt, all-consuming grief, not to mention what Joseph is feeling or experiencing emotionally. Why isn't anyone in my family looking for me right now? We hear in the story that Joseph survives, although his life doesn't get any easier. He continues with challenges. I wonder sometimes if he wishes he had one of those easy red buttons that he could push for help to have some, someone come and help him guide the way. But alas, no. Yet there's something inside of him. The narrator says in other parts of the story that the Lord was with Joseph. But how is God with him? Because God is so quiet and seemingly invisible. He never swoops in to make the story any prettier or less dramatic. But the chaos and the pain are there. He takes that too as he works out his purpose in this story and in our crazy world. I was with the ninth graders this week in confirmation and we're starting the year about talking about God's promises because here they are as ninth graders, 15 years old, and in May they will stand up here in worship and publicly affirm this promise that has been planted in their heart and all the ways they express that no longer are their parents and godparents making that promise for them. They're able to make it themselves. And so I was trying to talk to them about how God works. And one of the ways I'm able to do it is show them of movement. And the movement is this. God comes in close so that he can go out wide. And it's something that we see in every Bible story. We see it so much in the Old Testament. We hear these words early on that God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing to the world. God doesn't come in close for special love for some and not for other, but rather he uses this really exclusive move so there can be an inclusive sense of love for the world. And so we hear it in this story that God comes close 
in Joseph. He came close in Abraham and Isaac. And eventually he will come close in the person of Jesus. And you know what? He does the same thing for us. But I have to tell you, that movement of God doesn't mean that life will be any easier. Now eventually, a famine forces the brothers to make a journey to Egypt to see if they can get food for their family so they can survive. Joseph notices them, and he's drawn back now into this family who abandoned him. And after some twists and turns, he reveals himself and is reunited with his brothers. So are we to consider this a happy ending? I'm not so sure about that. Does all the manipulation, persecution, and pain happen just so we can have a climactic ending? This is where the struggle is for me. In what Joseph says to his brothers in the closing words at the end of this really long story, he says, even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. Joseph's words can't help but remind me of that unhelpful platitude we sometimes mutter when we are at a loss for words. We don't know what else to say, so we say, it's going to be okay because everything happens for a reason. In this story and in ours, God does intend good, but he never uses suffering as a needed prop to make for a good story. His intent is abundant life, wholeness, and health, and mind, body, and spirit. Yet he knows this is not a perfect scripted world he is working with. Sin and brokenness dwell in creation and in each of us. And so the good news that we find in this story, although it's hidden and it's linked to our stories, God doesn't give up on us or the world. In all the bad decisions, the selfishness, the dysfunction, that too, he takes it on with his promise, I am with you. And the crazy thing like Joseph is we forget this. We forget the dream and the promise in the midst of the struggle because this world simply can be too much. Yet it is in the seen and unseen this breath of life continues to breathe and move us forward for the sake of all people, for the sake of the world. There is nothing Nothing God won't enter into, yet we always prefer the smooth sailing, the pain-free, the Hollywood version. So that is why I think, as a church community, we need to gather around and hear these dysfunctional, messy stories. And hear how each and every time God speaks into them his presence, his promise, his big love for the world, coming in close so he can go out wide. We need to be reminded that nothing is off limits. We can't make our lives more put together, less struggle some, because they're not. 
it gets down to this, in this story and in ours, it's really about God's faithfulness in the myriad of pain points in this world. And God says this, trust in my promise, I am with you. And when we can't, we come back to the word, God's word, we come back to water, wine, and bread. And sometimes we have to look to that person sitting next to us to remind us that the dream is not lost. God has a big vision for this world and for each of us. And he indeed comes so close and promises to remain with us always. Let it be so. Amen.